Good afternoon and welcome to City River. Uh, we're excited that we can be in person. And uh, it's been a long time with COVID, with all the restrictions, with all the things that have happened. We have all adjusted. And uh, I think some of us got used to staying home. And some of us got used to life post-COVID or mid-COVID. I don't know if we're over yet, but uh, it's still a process. We hear all kinds of things of reports going up and down. Whatever the case, his goodness, his faithfulness is always running after us. And we have a special thing happening next Sunday. Oops. Uh, you ready? And that's, whoop, come on. Okay, next Sunday, here, you will be able to get the full experience, and I invite you to come. If you have made a habit of just being online, that's wonderful. We made that available so that you can join us online, but there is something that happens when we're together in the presence of the Lord, right? So for those of you that are online, and if you can make it, we welcome you. If you are online and you are unable to make it because of physical restrictions, health restrictions, whatever the case, we bless you, we invite you to join us, but we would love for all of us to be here. So in the presence of the Lord, in the presence of the people, we invite you to be here. The Sunday School is preparing an amazing uh, program for us. I've seen glimpses of it. They're not allowing any, you know, any uh, spoiler alerts, right? They're not allowing anybody to come in, so be ready for what they have prepared. God is going to show up next Sunday as he does every Sunday. And the children are going to be the ones ministering to us through actions and words and songs and all kinds of things. So join us next Sunday. Uh, what else? Some of us are not well. Some of us are unhealthy. We believe that there is healing in the name of Jesus. And that his suffering, his stripes are for our healing. So let's just take a minute and remember all those who are not well. Some are here. In your bodies, you're feeling pains. Some are not here. I know dad is in the hospital and he's joined us. He's turned his camera off just a few minutes ago. I noticed he came on. Uh, but there's all kinds of people in different circumstances. So we want to just claim healing for every one of us. Okay, let's just bow our heads, extend your hand out to the Lord to touch and to receive from him what he has in store. Jesus, we believe that you are good. You have suffered for our healing. Your stripes, they have secured our healing. So right now, we just tap into that. We activate faith. Faith in us here in this room, faith of those who are online, and we just link our faith to your faithfulness. And we say, heal. Be healed. Bones that are twisted, bones that are broken, bones that are arthritic, bones that are not well, nerves that are stretched, muscles that are weak. We just pray health, life in each one of those circumstances. Organs that are malfunctioning, restoration. We even pray for minds that are troubled, spirits that are troubled. We pray for a complete spirit, soul, and body healing in the name of Jesus right now. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Uh, 
I welcomed all of you, but there is somebody that I just met last week, Ali Reza Shahpura. God bless you. We welcome you among us. I met uh, Ali's wife. I met Ali's wife in uh, the Emirates on the last trip. She's in Iran right now. They both were. He just joined us a couple of months ago. They originally, prior to that, they were in Malaysia. And they've been there for many years. I had met Lewa. Lewa is an elder in one of the churches in Malaysia, and she's a principal of a school. And when Silva and I met her, I think it was 2017, she shared about this Iranian family. And uh, it didn't register beyond the fact that it's an Iranian family and she's working with them. And then when I was in the Emirates, I heard that there's this lady from Iran coming. And she is one of the disciples of Lewa. And I thought, oh, this is interesting. I wonder if that's the same person. It turns out it was. And uh, their family is uh, faithful. And I just want you to welcome him after the service, spend some time, get to know him. Uh, we're delighted that he's able to join us. And we're praying for Mariam. Mariam, as I said, is in Iran. So we're praying for the right doors to open, right? So join us in faith that the Lord will answer those prayers, they'll be reunited and the Lord will do amazing things in their lives. Uh, bless you. Thank you for being with us today. This is the last week, or the fourth week, of the period that we call Advent. Do you remember what Advent was? By the way, uh, for those of you that need Farsi translation, cityriver.com slash Farsi will take you right in. You'll be able to listen in on Zoom and you get translation live in the moment. Sholay is online. Hi, Sholay. She's nodding hello. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so that's available. This is the fourth week of Advent. And Advent is the period that prepares us, four weeks, that prepare us on the church calendar the church leaders, the church fathers over the centuries felt that in the same way God gave Israel a cyclic calendar that repeats every year, that it's important for the church to have a calendar not only celebrating the feasts that God gave Israel, but remembering and celebrating the things that he has done in the New Testament. So there's the period of the Passion, there is the period of Lent, where we prepare for the death and the resurrection of Jesus. There is the period of Pentecost, where we prepare for the coming of the Holy Spirit. This is the period called Advent, where the word itself means the appearance, or the coming, or the revelation. In Arabic and in Farsi, the word for Advent is Zuhur, which is the appearing, right? So... In all the parts that we looked at in the last few weeks, I talked to you about the joy that we are touched with in Advent. I talked to you about how God deals with us. Last week we talked about the obstacles to joy. And uh, the other part that we talked about was peace and what peace looks like. Love and what love looks like. Last week was interesting because I touched something very practical and we talked about three obstacles to joy, anxiety, and fear, resistance or 
resentment because of a hurt or a wound. And the last one, do you remember it? Thinking hard, thinking hard. What was the last one? I'll tell you at the end of the service. (laughs) So this week, we focus on prophecy. God doesn't do anything without revealing it to his friends, the prophet, the prophets. He made that very clear throughout the Old Testament. And he used the prophecies to establish the truth of his word. He used prophecy to demonstrate principles. So what we're going to look at today is how important prophecy is in the scripture. Because sometimes in this modern age, we don't give prophecy the value that it deserves. And we don't give it the weight it needs in our own lives. Look at this passage. This we looked at already in the story of the three wise men. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? These are wise men that have been following the stars and they recognize that in their study of the stars, there is something that appeared that is unusual and they followed it until they got to Jerusalem and they needed to know some more detail. So now are you beginning to remember what the third point was from last week? Huh? When you're lost and confused, right? You can lose your joy. So they came into that situation and they were looking for answers because they were now beginning to feel lost and confused. They were wondering, where is this star going? It came to, Beth- it came to Jerusalem. But if you know anything about the geography, Jerusalem and Bethlehem are like this. Jerusalem is just north of Beth- Bethlehem. It's just like Richmond Hill or Thornhill and Toronto. You don't know when one begins and one ends. There isn't a border. There isn't a distance between them. There isn't like a vacant lot. It just continues one from the other. And Bethlehem was the place that David had his house, where Jerusalem was the place that God had his house. So they were like this. They were literally attached to one another geographically. So they come and they look at him. But look at what the answer is. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. They lost their joy. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. And what did they answer? In Bethlehem, in Judea. Why? How did they know that? For this is what the prophet has written. So they knew prophecy. They understood prophecy. Understanding and knowing prophecy is not a... Guarantee, that's the word I was looking for, that you will know how to walk in it. They knew it. But they didn't go to worship Jesus like the Magi. The Magi had seen the star... Remember when you're lost and confused, what do you do? Look for the light of God. And the light of God is in his word. 
So they were looking at the star, which was the light of God in their understanding. And they followed that star, and they came to now to Jerusalem, and they needed some more clarity. They needed some more fine-tuning to go to the next few steps. And they asked, and they got the answer that it was in Bethlehem in Judea, for this is what the prophet said, but in Bethlehem, this is what the prophet has written, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judea, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So this is what the prophets had said. This is what the, here it says very clearly, it was the chief priest, well, okay, it was the chief priest and the teachers of the law, and these are the experts that have studied the word of God and knew it, and they knew right away. Bethlehem, Judea, that's where it is. That's where they got to go. Anyway, they didn't go there. Now, let's go back. I told you Jerusalem and Bethlehem were attached. Let's go back to the time when they were still just being developed. David, the king of Israel, who was supposed to be the greatest king in Israel's time, he had this desire. He loved God. He was a shepherd boy. He would write some songs as he was singing to his sheep, as defending his, his sheep from the lions and the bears. He would worship God, and he loved God, and he was actually known as the man after God's own heart. And he loved God so much. God called him from the backwoods, if you will, in the fields. He went... He sent the prophet to Jesse, David's dad, and David's brothers were all there. And the prophet was looking to anoint a son of Jesse to be the next king of Israel. So he was looking, looking, this one is a tall son, he's the oldest, this one is a bit chubbier, this one is a little bit more muscular. They all look great, but they're not the one. Do you have any other sons? Yeah, well, this is my teenager, he's out in the field looking after the sheep, call him in. As soon as he calls him in, the prophet recognizes that this is the son who is going to be the king. So he anoints him. And it takes many years between the time of that anointing and the time of the fulfillment. And David goes through quite a bit of challenge with Saul. He's now king. The challenges don't stop. Now his sons are challenging him. And it doesn't stop. But David wanted to build a house, not only for himself, but a house for God. So that God would have a house to dwell in. He wanted to build a temple because God at that point, his presence was dwelling in a tabernacle, a tent. And it was a mobile thing. And it was necessary because that's when they came out of Egypt. They were just pilgrims. And God would move with them in the cloud and in the uh, pillar of fire. And he would rest on the tabernacle. And they would know that God is there. And then they would move to another location and the tabernacle would move with them. But now it's settled. Jerusalem is the capital. David's house is in Bethlehem. There should be a place for God to dwell. A permanent place for God to dwell. Especially in the city that he said was going to be the city of the great king. So what happens? Solomon, or Saul now, excuse me, David is now planning to do this. And the prophet 
God speaks to him and he says, go tell David these things. Thus says the Lord, are you the one to build me a house to live in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent and in a tabernacle. Wherever I have moved among, about among all the people of Israel, did I ever speak a word with any of the tribal leaders of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, he goes on, Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, to be prince over my people Israel. And I've been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them so that they may live in their own place and be disturbed no more. And evildoers shall afflict them no more. As formerly, from the time that I have appointed judges over my, uh, my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. Now look at this. David is coming up with his own plan to build a dwelling place for God. And God says, not so fast. I'm going to be the one that develops and builds a house for you, David. A lot of times, even in our ministry, even in our service, we want to do good for God. But he says, no, I want to do good for you. I want to build you a house. You think you're coming with something you're going to bring to me? What do you have that you can bring to me? What is the best that we can offer God? You think we are going to build something for God here at City River? You think we are building the church by our own effort, by our own strength, by our own devices? devices? We're going to come up with the plan. We're going to come up with the right solution for this age and this generation and the young people of this generation. You think we're going to be the ones to do that? God wants to build a house for us. He's the one that takes orphans and puts them in families. He's the one that comes and brings us all like a chicken under his wing, like little chicks. He's the one to do that. And that's what he's telling David here. And he goes on, he says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come forth from your body and I will establish his kingdom he shall build a house for my name now David is thinking who is coming from my body Solomon for sure God means Solomon okay so I can't build the house let me get all the supplies so that Solomon can build my house and he does that and he goes on and he says, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. 
and I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. Sounds really good. David must be really excited. But let's look at this. This is a chart that shows us, well, you can't see it really well. I'll enlarge it in a second. But it shows us all the kings of Israel, starting with Saul at the very top, right down to the very bottom when Israel falls apart and it's taken captive by the Babylonians and then the Persians and the Medes and then the, eventually the Romans. And they had no kings in that period. The last five, six hundred years before Jesus, they had no kings. So let's look at it in a little bit closer detail. You see, we have David or Saul at the top, David after him, and then Solomon. And God promised that one who is coming from David is going to be established with his throne lasting forever. Did that happen? No. Solomon's throne didn't last forever. As a matter of fact, when he died, the kingdom got divided. Divided by two of his sons, one to the south, Judea, one to the north, Judah, uh, or Israel. And the kingdom was divided. God's faithful promise didn't come through. There must be something more. It must be different than what we think. And a lot of times, we get ourselves into trouble because we interpret prophecy with a very narrow vision. Even in our own lives, when we get a prophetic word, you will do this and God will do this in your life. We interpret it with a very narrow vision. God's vision is a lot longer. Look how long it took. And notice, by the way, do you notice these red thumbs up and thumbs down? You can't really see them, so let's just kill some lights and you can see them better. Do you see the green thumbs up and the red thumbs down? Okay. If you read the Chronicles and First and Second Kings, you will see that these kings of Israel, the sons of David, they're all sons of David and Solomon. They're all children of that bloodline. The ones that have the green thumbs, the Bible says they did well, like their father David. The ones that have the red thumbs, they did evil in the sight of the Lord. God promised David that there's going to be peace in their borders. When these guys did right, there was peace in Israel. When these guys did wrong, there was wars. So it's a very interesting study to study the kings of Israel. And by the way, this is not a history class about the nation of Israel. Church talks a lot about Israel. Israel is given to us as an example, as a picture of humanity and how we function. And God does not spare Israel the dirty details. So he always tells us about what they did right and what they did wrong. Because we also need to be told what we do right and what we do wrong. And if you love someone, you tell them. You are our parents. Do you just keep quiet and not tell your kids anything? We tell them what you just did isn't the best thing you could have done. That's a nice way of putting it. Sometimes we say it a little bit more forceful. You were wrong! You've done that. You're laughing because you've done that. So these are the kings of Israel. So we come alongside, and now notice in here, in this chart, we have these names. 
Can anybody read that? Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah lived at the period where King Uzziah died. Isaiah chapter 6. And he saw the glory of God fill the temple. So now he lives in that period between Uzziah all the way to Ahaz. He's living in this period here. And so is Micah. These are two prophets that we have the books of in the Bible. In other words, their prophecies are written for us. So if we're interested in the prophecy, and we've seen the prophecy to David, that he's going to establish a house. And that house is not yet established, even though Solomon built an amazing temple. What they said about the temple of Solomon? All the nations of the world heard about this magnificent, huge, golden temple that they were afraid of the God of Israel. So they sent daughters to King Solomon so that they would become married to Solomon, so that they would become in-laws, and so that he would not attack the in-laws. Sort of like the kings of Europe. They're all intermarried for the same reasons, alliances and covenants. So they made covenant with Solomon. They sent the brides as bribes. And the brides also took with them idols. And they worshipped those idols and so did Solomon. He set up idols for all his wives. He had a thousand wives and concubines. I think 300 wives and 700 concubines. Man, that's a lot. How do you keep inventory of the goods that you have to buy for them? Not them. But how do you keep the inventory for all the wives' gifts? Christmas must have been a zoo. <laughs> I know they didn't have Christmas then. Hanukkah. <laughs> they didn't have Hanukkah then either. It was later. But anyway, so what happens there? And it continues, and right to the very end of it, we come to the last of the kings of Israel, Hosea, and the last of the kings of Judah, Zedekiah, and that's it. And the house of David is no more. There isn't a throne established in Israel. It's collapsed. Why? Because they were attacked in these periods by the Babylonians, and then the, by the Persians and the Medes, yay, Iran, pa, Iran Farsi, or Persian power. As after all of these things were happening, they come to the point that now they're overrun. And the prophecies, it seems that God lied. Or God wasn't strong enough. And I say to that, not so fast. Look at the next prophecy here. Isaiah speaking to Ahaz. Ahaz, remember, was the king that was around Isaiah's time, Uzziah's grandson. He says to him, God is going to do this and God is going to do that. Don't worry, they're attacking you, but they're not going to win. This is at the time of the attacks. And Isaiah says to him, Ahaz, ask the Lord your God. Who's saying this? Read it on the screen. <laughs> The Lord is saying it to Ahaz. The Lord himself is speaking. And he's saying to King Ahaz, Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. And Ahaz says, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Oh, how noble. Very noble. Let's look at the chart again. 
Look where Ahaz is. He did not do right in the light, sight of God. He worshipped idols. Even when he's saying here, I will not test the Lord my God, it's just lip service. So what Isaiah, speaking in the mind of God, in the prophetic voice of God, says to him, Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Notice what happened here. God was telling Ahaz, Test me, your God. Isaiah here is so disgusted at the behavior of King Ahaz, he doesn't call him his God anymore. He says, My God. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. You're not asking for a sign, but the Lord will give you a sign. What's the sign? This is all in fulfillment to the promise God made David to establish his house, his throne, and his kingdom by God's own power, not David's. You with me? David wanted to build a house for God. God said, no, I'm going to build you a house and I will establish my kingdom through your family, through one of your offsprings. I will build his kingdom. I will build that house. They couldn't do it. They couldn't live up to the standard. So God shows us that through the history of the kings of Israel, they keep dipping, they keep rising, they keep dipping, just like you and me. We keep rising and we keep dipping. We sang it in the highest of the highs and the lowest of the lows. He's always there. So wherever you are in your journey, if you're feeling great about your faith, if you feel let down by God or if you've let down God, he's right there with you. And then he gives them this promise to Ahaz. The virgin will conceive. Huh? When did that happen, Ahaz? Not in his lifetime. Look at the chart again. Where is Ahaz? Ahaz is somewhere here. You can't see that very big, but it's somewhere around 720 BC. 720 years before this prophecy is fulfilled. 720 years. It's sort of like Abraham. I will give you the land of Canaan. 400 years later, they started to go out of Egypt. How fast do you want prophecy to be fulfilled in your life in this microwave generation? in this WhatsApp and text message generation. You want to tweet it and see the king do the thing that you wanted. Yay, Elon Musk, go but get Twitter. We can use that to communicate faster. <laughs> Think about it. Put things in perspective. So this is what happened so far with the bloodline of the kings of Israel. And then at that same time, at David's time, and just a little bit after, look at what the, the prophet, the, the, the uh, psalmists are writing. Hear us, shepherd of Israel, you who lead, who led Joseph like a flock, you who sit enthroned between the cherubim. In other words, on the Ark of the Covenant, on the seat of mercy, in the Holy of Holies, shine forth before Ephraim. Benjamin and Manasseh. 
The psalmist is singing. He's saying, oh, we need your shining face, O oh Lord. He goes on. Awaken your might. Come and save us. We need your salvation. Restore us, O oh God. Make your face shine upon us, on us, that we may be saved. What an interesting contrast. This is at the time of David. And just around that period, so it's around 1000 BC. But 500, 600 years before that, David or, or God spoke to Moses and told him to tell his son, her brother Aaron, to bless the people of Israel this way. The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, they stand up before them and they, they do their, their, their hand signals. You know that they do that, right? They, they hold their hand signal, their, their hands like this. It's in the form of a sheen for the Shema. And they hold it like this. And they believe that as they speak, the blessing of God flows between their hands. You've seen this sign before. Star Trek. Leonard Nimoy actually brought it from when he was a little kid. It's a beautiful story if you go find it online. Anyway, let's get back to the, the priests. And this is how you are to bless them. The Lord bless you and keep you. And make his face shine upon you. That's the blessing. And now they're writing, make your face shine upon us. I promise I'm going to bless you this way. Why are you asking for this? Do you ask for God to do things in your life that he's already done in your life? If you don't see the blessing, if the Israelites are not able to see the face of God, what's the problem? Is it that his face is not shining? Or is it that their sin has covered their shame and they're not able to see his face? And that's what was going on. So in the midst of all of this, God speaks through prophecy. God has spoken through the history of Israel repeatedly that he's the one that's going to do it. Do you think he's changed? Do you think now he has sent us the Holy Spirit, which he used to pour down on his people before that in the Old Testament on his prophets and his kings and his servants, even the ones that built the physical tabernacle, he would pour down his spirit. Do you think he's changed? And now because he has given us the Holy Spirit to live in us, he expects us to do the building? He expects us to build our own lives? He expects us to be just like the people of Israel, to come to him so that he would bless us and make his face shine upon us and build our home he wants to build our home. He wants to build a dwelling place in your heart for you and for him to dwell together. He's the one that wants to do that. Your desire is to sin and to walk away and to cheat and to lie and to cause all these things. And then you come on a Sunday and you worship and you want, oh God, come on, restore me. We do that. Through the week we think our thoughts, we, we, can, you know, we condemn others, we judge others, we do all kinds of things. And then we come on Sunday and we raise our hands in worship. But he wants to do something different in us. He wants us to say yes to him. The prophets or the psalmists and the worship leaders were saying, make your face shine upon us. Look at this verse. 
Philip, one of the disciples of Jesus, comes to him and says, Lord, show us the Father. And that will be enough for us. And we come to worship and we say, Lord, show us your face. We don't want your hand, Lord. We're not asking for your hand. Don't do things in our life. We just want you. Show us your face. And then Jesus answers him and says, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So have you seen Jesus? Have you encountered him? Have you heard about him or just the, the healer or the miracle worker or the one that was born of a virgin, the virgin that shall conceive? Have you heard of him as a special guy? Or have you encountered him as the face of the Father? How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. It's that Father who wants to adopt you. It's that Father who loved. It's that Father. And that's why I chose this picture. Because it's not just about a house with a king. But the prophecies keep telling us all kinds of things. I don't know if you can see it, but it's a crown of thorns at the bottom of that crown of gold. And that's the kind of love that God has for us. That he would come. Yes, he is king of kings and lord of lords. But he would take on the cross to suffer, to build a house for us. For each one of us, a house, a personal house that he dwells in with us. And for all of us collectively, a corporate house, the church, that he can dwell among us and be present among us. We're not going to build the church. It's not through our effort that City River is going to be established. It's not our effort that my life is going to be established. If you want to be my disciple, follow me. Pick up your cross and follow me. Let us pray. Father, as we look over the entire journey of Israel, we see your faithfulness over and over again. You have confirmed your word through your prophets and you have fulfilled it in action. All through history, Lord, you have shown up and you have made good on everything that you have prophesied. The word that you spoke to your friends, the prophet, the prophets, you have fulfilled. You've never been too late. We may think you've been taking your time. But at the appointed time, every one of those things were fulfilled. You promised Abraham a son through Sarah. And right at the perfect time, Isaac was born. You promised deliverance out of Egypt. 
your people Israel. And right at the perfect time, you delivered them out. On that exact night, on that exact night, when the moon was full, on that exact night when you parted the waters, your timing is perfect. Lord, in each one of our lives, we wish you would do things so much quicker. But you know the exact time for each one of our lives. The journey that we need to go through, the refining that we need to go through. You'd wish we wouldn't go through the pain, but you allow the pain because it perfects us and makes us more and more like Christ. We declare you are a good father. You don't wish us pain, but you use the pain that this life brings us. So Lord, as we wrap up this Advent season and we get ready to celebrate the birth of your son, we've looked at joy, we've looked at peace, we've looked at all of these things, and now we're looking at prophecy. And Lord, each one of us, some of us may not have, but most of us have received words, prophetic words over our lives. I pray like Paul says to Timothy, that you stir them up, that you stir them up in our hearts. If we have never ever received a prophetic personal word, let today, today be the word that one has received. So if you've never received a prophetic word, here is one for you today. The Father says, I love you. It's not rocket science, right? But that's the truth. That's what prophecy is, declaring the word and the truth of God. God says, I want to be your father. I love you. I have given everything for you to be my son, my daughter. Open your heart to me and accept my love today. Now you can't say I've never received a prophetic word. This was just for you. It has your name on it. Grab it. So Father, as we hear these words, we just come before you, before you and we say, Lord, may you be glorified in our lives this Christmas. You know the needs of each one of us. You know the journeys that we are on. We thank you, Lord, for your love and your faithfulness through each one of the days of our lives. And we say, Lord, continue to build your house in my life. Continue to build your house among us. For your name, for your glory, and for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.